Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. I'm author and journalist Laura Price, and you're listening to Life in Food inspiring stories in bite-sized pieces. Each episode, I interview a different guest about how food has helped them through some of their biggest challenges. With a different theme each week, we look at everything from food and love to food and friendship, food and fertility, and even food and cancer. This week's episode is Food and Menopause with Danny Binnington, host of the podcast Menopause and Cancer, which does exactly what it says on the tin. Danny is also a wellness expert, yoga teacher, founder of the Superfood Supper Club, and she runs the website Healthy Whole Me, where you can find recipes and book her yoga workshops. Danny was diagnosed with breast cancer when she was 33 and was thrown into a surgical menopause when she was 39. So she created a community to talk about the problems and side effects of menopause and how women like me can feel less alone. I stumbled across her podcast quite recently after I was diagnosed with secondary breast cancer at 39, 10 years after my primary diagnosis when I was 29. I've been experiencing literally all the symptoms of menopause on my cancer drugs, so Danny's podcast has been especially useful to me. She is keen to stress that she's not a nutritionist or a dietitian, but she does have expertise in helping to heal our bodies through menopause, whether natural or cancer-induced. So I wanted to talk to her about that today and how we can heal both our bodies and our minds through food. Danny, thank you for joining me and welcome to Life in Food. Hi, Laura. Thank you for having me. So could you start by telling me a little bit about your cancer diagnosis and how it led you to work in the area you're working in now? Totally. But before I do so, I really feel like we should be recording this in person because you're only down the road from me, aren't you? (laughs) I know. Yeah. (laughs) How nice. Um, So I was 33, a little bit older than you, when I found a lump in my left armpit. And I went to all of the appointments on my own because there was no way I thought that could be cancer. And it was. It was a highly aggressive type of tumour. I didn't know anything about breast cancer then. But we did have loads of ovarian cancer in the family that took many members of our family way too early. Um, But it was always on my dad's side of the family. So I thought, it's on my dad's side. I don't need to worry about that. Um, But I was treated with chemotherapy, surgeries and radiotherapy. And that was my active treatment. And then I found out that because of the genetic link, I carried the 40 BRCA mutation. 
And that was after my active treatment finished. And it really stopped me from healing, I would say. It stopped and halted my recovery process because it made me so worried about what that meant now for my future. So I couldn't just focus on recovering after cancer and getting better and rebuilding my house. I also had this other heavy, heavy cloud above my head. And that was, what is this genetic mutation going to do to me and my future body and health? And so I think my whole life changed. My husband's life changed, Laura. I was a jewelry designer before and I just knew I had three young children and I just knew I couldn't go back to my old way of living. Oh, you had your children already before your cancer diagnosis. That's right. So my twins were two and my eldest daughter was four. And yeah, I remember when my hair came off and my wig came on, I bought them crayons and I allowed them to paint on my head because I didn't know how else to deal with it all, but be honest. And this honesty is something I really value and treasure. And I want to be honest with everyone I speak to about my experiences and not make it just positive and just say it how it was for myself. But this um, BRCA genetic mutation then led me to have a preventative double mastectomy and the removal of my ovaries a little bit further down the line, which threw me into menopause. But because I knew I had to change my life soon after my diagnosis, I really immersed myself into all things wellness or what I thought was right. And that was yoga and food and mental health. And so by the time I embarked into menopause, I felt I had a really well stacked toolbox to draw on. And that's what I want to share with everyone now, because I know it's possible to make it a little bit better. Not saying it's possible to have this amazing menopause experience after cancer with no symptoms. I think that is unrealistic. But I think we can make it a bit better, perhaps. As I said before, you're already really, really helping me. And I'm sure lots and lots of other women and men supporting people through menopause. So, yeah. Um, and I like to ask everyone on this podcast about their relationship with food, not just um, now, but, you know, from from the beginning. So could you tell me, you know, how what was your relationship with food like as a child? And what is it like now? Oh, you might hear from my accent, I was born and raised in Austria. And so I would say I grew up on quite healthy food. My mum and my nan and my granddad, actually, they cooked loads of foods from scratch for us. And at the same time, a lot of my food was processed meats. I loved salami sandwiches. I think my packed lunch in school was salami sandwiches. And if it wasn't salami sandwiches, it was Nutella rolls. <laughs> and I had loads of sugar on my cereals and we just didn't know them really. And in Austria, you sometimes have a sweet cake for breakfast. And I was always on the slim side. So I never really needed to look at my food in terms of what so many women do to control their weight. And so if you had maybe had one piece of cake, I might have had two because it was possible and it tastes yummy. And then after active treatment finished, I was riddled with insomnia and I was up at three o'clock in the morning like so many other people. And I was looking at Dr. Google at clinics in Mexico and diets with cottage cheese and loads of things. I just thought... What else is it I need, I can do? It didn't feel enough. Chemotherapy, radiotherapy, multiple surgeries somehow didn't feel enough. I didn't feel treated. I didn't feel cured. 
And so I became obsessed with food and my whole poor family had to listen to me bang on about food for the many years. And I'm still talking about it, Laura, to come. But I did get it all wrong initially because I thought I needed to eliminate many, many food groups. And I did so from one day to the next without really knowing much about it. I'm glad I've moved on from then because it's not the best place to be in. But I became quite obsessed with food. I'm not sure if that resonates with anyone listening, but I've spoken to a lot of people who say, yeah, yeah, me too. I think if I have a piece of cake, my cancer is going to come back. And Mm -hmm. is soy going to give me more breast cancer? And so there's loads of worries and misinformation and not enough understanding maybe. Yeah, that really resonates with me. I did go through a period when I when I was first diagnosed 10 years ago of um, cutting out particular foods before I realized that food is my life because I, I actually write about restaurants. Well, I went on to write about restaurants for a living after my cancer diagnosis. So, you know, I'm really, really passionate about food and cutting out certain foods was really difficult. Um but now I definitely feel a certain level of guilt if I if I drink alcohol or if I eat processed foods. But so looking at your Instagram, you would think all you eat is porridge with blueberries and beautiful, healthy stews and things like that. Is there do you have a healthy balance in the sense that do you still eat chocolate bars and, you know, unhealthy stuff as well? It took me a long time, Laura, to shift some of the guilt and I'm still have days where I'm perhaps in weeks where my whole week was less healthy in what I perceive is a healthy diet now I still feel a little bit of that slave guilt and so perhaps this is something I will navigate for my life um, but it took me a long time to move into a more balanced way of being but I tell you the pros about being so restricted in the beginning. And that was, I had to learn to cook with vegetables. And that was perfect because really veg and whole grains was everything I was left with (laughs) after I had cut out everything else. It taught me how to cook because I didn't know how to cook before. I would have had beans on toast for three weeks in a row. And so it taught me how to cook and it gave me the control, which I know so many of us need to regain don't we after cancer takes all your control from you and that control gave me a bit of hope hope that I was on the right track and so it also served a purpose but I think my family realized that I was taking it to quite extremes and so they sent me on a diploma course in nutrition and food Mm. which was fantastic and that really showed me a little bit more of a balanced way of being I started to follow scientists like Tim Spector many, many years ago. And it was all about the gut health and it was all about variety. And I suddenly realized, gosh, Danny, by eliminating all these foods, you're not really serving yourself either. And so my whole focus became on what can I pack in? (laughs) Mm -hmm. And actually those were smoothies because, yeah, on a normal day, I wouldn't have spinach and pineapple and some nuts and an avocado, but in a smoothie, it became possible. And then it became lovely stews, like you mentioned, because a lovely minestrone soup can be full of 10, 15 types of vegetables and and whole grains. And so when I started to shift my focus onto what do I want to add rather than what do I want to eliminate, of course, then it became positive and exciting 
And now I would say that the majority of my meals are full of wonderful fresh ingredients that I cook, but I also have a sweet tooth. So before we go on to talk about menopause, can you first explain to me what is the difference for anyone who doesn't know between perimenopause and menopause? Yeah, of course. And so for anyone who enters menopause naturally, and in the UK, the average age of menopause is about 51. And the lead up to that time is your perimenopause. And for some women or for many people, this could be a whole 10 years. And it's the time where your hormones start to dwindle, but you're actually going on a hormonal roller coaster. Mm -hmm. And so it's going up and down and up and down. And your hormones are all over the place, often resulting in very many symptoms. Many people say there are 34 symptoms of the menopause. Some people bring it up to 60. (laughs) I have no idea, but... Women struggle on very many different levels and they can be physical or mental. And what I found, mainly both. We have physical and mental problems that can really feel very debilitating in our daily life. And actually, menopause is just one day in your life. It's when you've not had a period for a whole year. And you don't need anyone to diagnose menopause for you because if you're in your late 30s, 40s, you know you're going to be in perimenopause somehow. Or if you're like yourself or myself, surgery, for example, throws us into a surgically onset menopause or cancer treatments, other cancer treatments can also bring on menopause much earlier. And that feels very different to a naturally onset menopause. Yeah. Okay. Well, that was going to be my next question. How cancer, how menopause with cancer is different and are the symptoms and side effects different or is it pretty much all the same? Let's talk about that because actually when I run workshops for people in their twenties and thirties or people in their forties and fifties, so many people don't know where they're at. Mm -hmm. And so radiation, pelvic radiation can bring on menopause Surgery, of course, can bring on an immediate menopause. It's like you're being pushed off the hormonal cliff. Chemotherapy, when I went through chemo, my period stopped. I did not know and no one told me, or maybe they did, and I can't remember, that this was temporary menopause. Now, if you're younger and your periods stop and you go through chemo, you might not know or your doctors might not know if your periods are going to come back. Mm. So it's a very unsettling time for many And then, of course, we've got many long-term cancer treatments. And I really want to reframe how we talk about those because women often say, well, I've had my cancer treatment. I've had surgery, chemotherapy, radiotherapy. I've done the worst. I'm now only taking tamoxifen. And so women might be on tamoxifen or an aromatose inhibitor for five, sometimes up to 10 years. These are anti-endocrine therapies. They strip your body or they're trying to stop your body from absorbing the estrogen that either goes through to your breast tissues or into your whole body. These are strong therapies and they can all bring on, mimic the effects or this like menopause or put us into a menopausal state. And that can be massive and we really need to talk about it more. The symptoms can be the same as women experience in a natural perimenopause or menopause. But of course, if you've had surgery, they're much more quick, so they are very sudden. And of course, Laura, I'm not sure about you, it can be very hard to know what's what. Yeah, totally, yeah. 
is this a side effect of my cancer treatment? Am I still fatigued because I've had chemotherapy last year? We have all lived through a pandemic. What's what? It's very difficult to know what's what. And I I want to recognize that for many, that it's difficult to know what's what for most of us. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, yeah, I, I find there's so many um, mental and physical side effects and you, you, you're, you're in a rage or you're crying or, you know, whatever. You don't know whether it's hormones or whether it's just the fact that you've got cancer or whether it's just life and everything you're going through in life. So to talk about a bit about my personal story, I was diagnosed with breast cancer when I was 29. I had surgery, uh, chemotherapy and radiotherapy, and then I was on tamoxifen, the drug that you mentioned, for the best part of the last 10 years. I experienced perimenopausal symptoms then, um, but then very recently I was diagnosed with secondary breast cancer and I started taking Zolodex, Letrozole and Ribocyclib, and the combination of those drugs shuts down my ovaries much more aggressively than the tamoxifen did so the um whole the effects that I was already having basically accelerated and the hot flushes got worse and my period stopped and um everything kind of got worse but in the interim period I became a food writer or a restaurant writer and started writing about food and started dining out more and had this incredible life and I've always had a huge 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 appetite but recently after I started taking all these drugs my appetite has just dropped and I started putting on weight pretty much for the first time in my life and that's that's been really really hard um I've managed to keep my appetite because I I believe that I have both a mental appetite and a physical appetite my physical appetite has gone but because I love cooking because I love eating food I'm still eating almost the same as I was before but I was wondering can you tell me why what's happening in our bodies that makes us lose our appetites and put on weight in menopause or perimenopause yeah and I think the first thing we need to recognize is that sometimes it can be a side effect of the medication that gives you symptoms. And so that can be because you're on these drugs like Zolodex or um, Tamoxifen and the side effects of the drugs can give you symptoms mm. and they can be similar to symptoms of the menopause. And then your body has also been put into this state of menopause, like you say, by shutting down your ovaries. And that already is another layer on top, right? It's going to give you many symptoms. And then we need to recognize that those symptoms can change and fluctuate. So they won't always be the same. And I'd like to I'd like everyone to know that. So if your appetite changed now and your weight might go up and down, that might not be the same for the next next year or the year after. Um, we know, for example, many, many women, about 90% of women really struggle with um, symptoms in their vagina and vulva. And so that can be dryness or itchy. Um, and there are lots of treatments uh, out there, but sometimes they can come on years after you've been on treatment. And so it's important that we keep thinking about this as a transient state of being rather than something so permanent. Because if we think, gosh, I'm going to not, not have appetite ever again, or I always feel this horrible. It's a really sort of depressing state of being. And so I'd like for everyone to know this can change and fluctuate. Mm. And then, of course, women in perimenopause and menopause who enter and arrive in it naturally 
put on weight, and many of them do, and our metabolism slows down, and some of the mechanisms in how the process, uh, the body, for example, deals with sugar and balances our blood sugar levels also changes. And so we do have to adapt the way we eat a little bit when we know our body has been put through change from the outside. In your, in your case, it's medication. And so there's changes that have happened. And now we also need to change how we can work with that to make it better. And that might be eating more often, but smaller quantities. That might be just really celebrating eating and making it a social thing so that eating doesn't become just nutrients and portions and calories and macronutrients. It becomes also a social gathering. And the more we have of those, the more joy we can bring in. That might be going to restaurants, even though you haven't got a great appetite and maybe ordering two starters and seeing how we can bring the joy into the eating rather than thinking, I haven't got appetite because food is so much more, isn't it, than appetite, hunger, um, feeling saturated. Yeah. Um, And are there certain foods that we should either eat more of or avoid during perimenopause? whether cancer related or not. Yeah, and actually I've recorded, and you probably listened to it, a fantastic podcast episode with dietitian Hilary Wright, who is a cancer and menopause specialist. So if anyone really wants to know from the cancer and menopause expert and from a dietitian, that's a great podcast episode to tap into. She really debunks a lot of the myths. In general, we say when we're in menopause or postmenopause, it's helpful to increase the protein intake. It's important to support our muscle, to not let our muscles waste away. And that is not just a big piece of salmon or fish or um, meat, chicken once a day. That is trying to include a source of protein in each of your meals, even if it's snacks. Mm. And what, when I work with women, Um, mainly what is the most difficult is to include that protein at breakfast. Because even if we just have a bit of porridge with milk, there is not enough protein in there. And so it's really thinking, which of my meals, what sources of protein do I include? And then especially adding some good fats with that same meal, because otherwise our blood sugars are have the possibility to really spike And then we're going to drop and then they're going to spike and then we're going to drop. And it's this constant up and down, up and down, which is natural and needs to happen. But if it's too much in the up and too much in the down, it can also um, just bring on our symptoms a bit more and that horrible crash and feeling really fatigued. I don't know. Do you know, like when you think of your breakfasts, do you know if you include enough protein or is there a, a source of protein that you include? Well, I suspect that I don't. If I have eggs, then obviously I do. But I had I had porridge this morning and I did put in some flax seeds and some chia seeds. And I think I forgot Yum. the nuts today. But, but what should my protein be if I'm eating porridge, for example? But that's fantastic what you've done because you've added the flax and the chia seeds, which are great sources of protein. And they're really good for our digestive health. And so that's great. But... It can also be helpful if you think you have that two or three times a week to add a really good source, in this case, of a protein powder, for example. Or you could say, I'm going to have a little glass of kefir or some yogurt. Oh, I had kefir kefir yogurt on it, Danny. You'd be very proud of me. 
<laughs> Perfect then, right? So if for anyone listening who doesn't know, kefir is a fermented type of yogurt, which is fantastic for our gut health. And that is a brilliant source of protein. So you've done it. Um, you've nailed it. I've won breakfast. On some days when I have to be quick, and that might be once a week, I make a smoothie. And it's very simple, uh, banana, protein powder, and some milk. And in the past, I thought that was okay, but I now know I'm going to add some yogurt or some kefir into that for those really important fats as well, or maybe half an avocado to really balance out. Because I did a little bit of testing with myself and without that half an avocado or the nuts or the yogurt, my blood sugars were spiking and then dropping. Yeah, it's so interesting. I didn't even know that kefir yogurt was a source of protein I've been trying to up my fermented foods but I didn't know that that was protein so yeah so much to learn let's talk about those fermented foods just for one second yeah. so because they're brilliant to add every single day and sometimes people at home think I'm in menopause after cancer should I take a probiotic and some scientists say there is very little benefit and other scientists say yes there is benefit and then regardless of what they say, I know we're going to do what we think is right for us, right? Because <laughs> you can tune into any of the information. And I often in my recovery had to take antibiotics and I really felt I wanted to take a probiotic. Mm -hmm. Whether there is science and evidence or not, I felt I wanted to support my gut health. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well... HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you 
you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. And at the same time, I know I can support my gut health in much cheaper ways every single day. And that could be through a little bit of kefir, like you did on your porridge today. That can be buying kombucha, which is a fermented tea drink. And if you make sure you buy one without additives or sugar, it makes great drinks, especially if you're worried about, you said you're worried about alcohol um, or trying to reduce your alcohol intake. We could make lovely sparkling long drinks like mocktails with kombucha. Um, kefir, we've mentioned, we can use sauerkraut or kimchi. I don't know if you like those flavors. I don't do love them, but I do still eat them. I have a bit of kimchi, yeah, occasionally. Yeah. So Tim Spector, for example, the scientist says, if you have a spoonful of sauerkraut a day, that is fantastic for your microbiome, <laughs> if you can stomach it. Tell us what is the microbiome, because some people might not know. Right. So imagine your gut inside your gut. It's like a rainforest full of thousands and millions of beautiful plants and trees and flowers, and you want to feed it. And if you feed it with a lot of um, yummy vegetables and plant-based whole foods, like um, the probiotics that we've just talked about, the natural probiotics from the foods, then you can really feed your microbiome, that rainforest inside you. And All scientists are very clear now that this is really important for our overall health. Mm -hmm. May that be our physical and mental health. And so sometimes when I'm confused about what these experts talk about in terms of diet, I just think, oh, just feed your microbiome, feed your rainforest inside yourself, Danny, and you'll be, (laughs) it's okay. I'm so fascinated about that because um, like you, I have a genetic mutation. I have the PALB2 genetic mutation. I know you have the BRCA um, mutation and they're very similar. And my my mum has never had uh, breast cancer, whereas I have. And so I'm fascinated as to whether it could be something to do with our diets, something that we do differently in food, or, I, or it could be in our lifestyles as well. But um, it's a really interesting one to look into. I'd like to elaborate on that a bit because this is what I've been sort of thinking about for the last 10 years myself. And there is a positive and a negative that comes with this train of thought. Mm. And what we're talking about is epigenetics. It's we have a certain set of genes, our makeup, this is how we are. So in our case, we've got that genetic fault. But some people in who have the BRCA genetic mutation like me or like you, they never get the cancer. And what have they done differently? And I need to be careful when I have thoughts like that, because there is a little bit of blame then that came into my thinking that I then suddenly thought, have I done something wrong? Is it because I've drank so much alcohol in my teens and 20s and early 30s? Like I could knock back the vodka shots and the schnapps (laughs) as an Austrian, the schnapps. (laughs) Um, And I would function very well the next day, for example, and living on the diet that I was brought on. And so it's, important to recognize 
I'm sure we have an impact and an influence that our lifestyle can give us on our symptoms, symptom management, and we can reduce many risks. We know that chronic diseases, diabetes, some cancers. And at the same time, cancer is never our fault. And nothing we have done or in the absence of what we've done has created and given us this cancer. And I feel this really needs to also be said because for many years I was so hung up about the fact that I needed to change my life because I thought I'd done something wrong in the first place to have cancer at the age of 33. But it's never our fault. It's never our fault. And yet we can influence our chances and risks a little bit perhaps. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm I'm absolutely with you on that. I know it's not my fault and I have certainly felt some level of blame over the years or at least the guilt when I eat or drink something that I think I shouldn't or if I stress myself out too much. So I try not to feel that guilt. But at the same time, I'm curious from a science perspective what has happened in our lives, whether our fault or otherwise, that yeah. you know cause this difference and I know lots of people who are trying to figure that out as well I know Tim Spector and, is trying to figure it out as well yeah and I I feel it's the best to say these two thoughts and feelings and even if it's guilt and burden and worry that we've contributed towards this and it's somehow our fault it's okay that these things can coexist because I know from pushing away that thought, oh, it wasn't your fault, Danny, don't be ridiculous. And, you know, it's still there lingering. And the best I can do is to sit with the fact that all of my thoughts and almost different feelings can coexist because this is what being in the cancer realm is anyway, isn't it? We can have a really good day for no reason and then a really crap day for mm -hmm. no apparent reason. And it's the constant Everything can co coexist. I can be so grateful to be here today and I can be so scared for my future at the same time. And I can be so in love with all my family and I can be so upset with how they've handled certain aspects. Whatever it is, it, it, it can all coexist. And I think a lot of scientists are trying to figure this out and epigenetics has really moved on. And certainly from... A gynae cancer ovarian perspective, there's been a lot of um, studies, new studies done through the Eve Appeal, which is a fantastic charity, and through many of their scientists, the 4C program and the study. And exercise actually plays a huge role as well. Mm -hmm. So, yes, we talk about food today and exercise must be mentioned. Yeah, well, I wanted to ask you about exercise as well, because well, in, and the way it all ties in with body image, because I, for example, have always had I've always been slim, I've always eaten lots, and I've always done lots of exercise. And as a consequence, I've always had a pretty good body image that you know, I've been fairly positive. And it's only very recently that I've been plunged into this more sudden menopause. Um, that I've started putting on a bit of weight, and I've started to feel worse about my body. Um, and yeah. at the same time, I swim lots, but I find running much, much harder because I don't have as much energy and I feel it in my muscles and my bones that they just don't have as much, uh, you know, energy as they did. So what advice can you give to any women going through perimenopause? So this is a good time to mix up the way you're moving because just because you've moved a certain way and it's served you until a certain point in your life doesn't mean 
it reserve you going further and continue and your energy levels like you say have changed and so we need to adapt and change our energy and exercise routines I've got a new podcast out with um a scientist professor anna campbell who has done the biggest research about exercise and cancer and we know we can reduce our risks of more cancers and new cancers by about 150 minutes of moderate exercise per week and i know most people are now going to want to know exactly what type of exercise how and when and it's not as easy to answer of course as you might imagine but something is better than nothing getting our heart rate up in whichever way that feels comfortable for your joints and muscles now is a good thing and if we can maybe walk walk a little bit faster if you running i understand is difficult for your joints now and you know so many women in perimenopause menopause especially after cancer feel they're really stiff they wake up and they feel like mm. tin woman really stiff and achy joints and it takes a long time to settle we know yoga can be really beneficial and so can be pilates and we also know that by adding some weights even if they're tins of beans it's a really good way of moving in perimenopause and menopause because our muscles even from the age of 30 that's natural for anyone we lose muscle mass and so we've got to work extra hard to not build muscle but to even keep what we've had in the first place and so maybe if running <clears throat> isn't great for you and you feel quite fatigued after it can be a walk and a, listening to your podcast and walking a little bit faster and maybe doing the couch to 5k really go back to the beginning and then add a couple of times a week a 20 minute um resistance exercise or using some very light weights to help with your muscle yeah this is something that i definitely need to start doing and as you mentioned we are just down the road from each other so i need to come to one of your yoga sessions at some point as well yay i'd love it yeah so um we've talked about food during menopause to feed the body but obviously the mind is something that is hugely hugely affected by perimenopause and also by cancer what are the things that we can be doing to to feed our minds yeah and you know earlier when we spoke about all of the lovely fermented foods and probiotics and yogurts and all the things we can add proteins into our breakfasts for example they are like almost the last bit to having this conversation because before we have that conversation we really need to ask ourselves some bigger questions because the majority of us know how we could all eat a little bit better so whatever you are you know some people might be listening to this and they might be on ready made marks and spencers meals every day of their week because they're out working and they haven't had time to prepare their food their starting point to become a little bit healthier will be very different to someone who is cooking from scratch already every meal of the week and so when we take a few steps back it's really important to think how and when do we eat as well like do we eat at our desks whilst we have a phone in our hand or can we actually sit down and be mindful and notice the flavors and really enjoy the tastes and the textures when is it that you first eat and when is it that you last eat and so sometimes when we're trying to also manage or notice our weight it can be really helpful to think do i eat my last meal say at seven o'clock in the evening and a snack at 10 o'clock at night and then i'd like us to wonder and 
be inquisitive and think, why do you snack? So do you snack because maybe at the moment you feel you didn't get enough calories in in the day because you've lost your appetite? Or do you snack because it's a habit and you're watching the telly and you don't really need that extra snack? And so it's really important to think how and when do we eat? Is it habit? Is it hunger? What's the motivation yeah. behind it? I don't know. Are you a snacker, Laura? <laughs> I'm I'm a snacker in the evenings. And for me, snacking is because I like I like the physical act of eating. I like the textures and flavors of food. I love food. So I'll, I might not be hungry, but I might decide to have those crisps in the evening or some chocolate buttons or something like that. Yeah, yeah. And so we can probably establish if, you, if you've eaten enough during the day in your main meals that you don't perhaps need the snack in the late evening snack, although it's a joyful thing to do. Um, I'm sure everyone listening or many people listening will agree that that evening snacking in front of the telly, oh my gosh, I cannot <laughs> stop myself sometimes. <laughs> but I've also learned from brilliant scientists that if we can give our gut, so our microbiome again, that rainforest, a decent break when we sleep, that's helpful because the gut can restore. And so often we might snack at nine, 10 o'clock in the evening, and then we have a coffee with milk at seven o'clock in the morning. And so that window when our microbiome heals and sleeps is short. And we know there is benefit of increasing that and lengthening it, draw it out a bit. And some people call it fasting or intermittent, whatever people might call it. It's just you sleeping and letting your body rest and letting your body really calm down so that it can function well when you're awake. And so if anyone is listening, thinking, I don't need that late night snack, it might be a really easy hack to just drop that late night snack and you might feel and even wake up a bit more refreshed. Is there an optimal timing? Is it like 12 hours break? Would that be better? I think a 12 hour break, 10 to 12 hours is like your minimum, what we should be having. Wow. Okay. Yeah. But our Western diet or our lifestyle doesn't really allow us anymore. Right. I mean, of course, if you're out on a Thursday, Friday, Saturday night, it's different, but the majority of your evenings, we can ask ourselves, do we need this food because we need the foods or can we maybe not have it and give our gut a little bit more of a break? Some people love um, a longer fasting time. So they might then stretch their breakfast out till 10 or 11 o'clock the next day. And it's important to see how you feel on it. You know, your body has been going through so much change. You're on new drugs. You're already feeling the effects of them. It could make you feel quite good the next morning if you say you don't eat for 12, 13 hours, or you could feel actually quite fatigued. And so I'd say experiment and see if you can see a benefit. It's funny because before I was diagnosed with cancer, I was living in Argentina. And in Argentina, they eat a massive steak at 10, 11 p.m., sometimes even midnight. And then wow. I, I wasn't doing that very often. I was eating like 7 p.m. or something. But I was up at 6 a.m. every morning having my breakfast. So, um, yeah, yeah it's, it's, it's just interesting to think about different different nations and how they deal with, you know, eating hours and what kind of foods they eat and things. And also we have the luxury with lots of our UK scientists that they're really on the board. This is like really new information and how can we use this so that it serves us is always the question 
I want to ask myself. And so just to give you an example, I teach a few evening yoga classes and I have to be conscious about not coming home and snacking. But if I don't snack, that means I would have had my last meal at six o'clock in the evening. I then have a black tea in the morning and I might only have my breakfast at eight, nine o'clock. That gives me a long window of fast, really, in comparison to if I had snacked and a breakfast early. But my bowels work better and that's just me. I know that won't be the same for everyone because I know I can have sluggish bowels. Mm. And I also feel a little bit, may I say, brighter in my head somehow. I often otherwise wake up and I feel quite foggy, like as if I need three coffees to shift that fog. But so those are the little changes. And when we navigate menopause after cancer, it's those little changes, those little triggers that I'm really passionate about talking about. So it might be women saying, gosh, I wake up at three or four o'clock every morning and then I can't fall back asleep. Mm. Actually, Laura, is when women stop eating and drinking late it also stops them from having to have a wee. And sometimes it's needing that toilet that wakes them up. And if you don't need that toilet that might wake you up, you might then not wake up at all and you might sleep through. So so we can even manage our sleeping patterns and other things by making very small tweaks. And they're not big medication. They don't cost anything. But to make those tweaks, we need to become aware of ourselves, don't we? And really relook how we do things. And that's why I'm so passionate about mixing things up because only when we mix things up, can we find out what works or what doesn't work. Yeah, certainly for me, a big one is um, alcohol. I've never been a big drinker, but if I ever had, um, if I ever have now one or even two, if I had two, certainly um, glasses of wine, I would certainly wake up in the night or not sleep as well. So for me, cutting out alcohol is really, really important. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. Um, and if you could tell, if you could tell one thing to your younger self, your pre-cancer, pre-perimenopause self about body and food and mind, what would it be? You will be good enough with all the changes that are coming towards you. I have no more boobs. I have no ovaries. I have so many scars. I have such an altered body conception and feeling towards my body and I feel so differently in my body and it's a constant working process to remind myself I'm good enough the way I am today yeah and you're amazing I know I can only see from the outside but what I see and what I hear from you you sound very very positive and healthy and just healthy healthy in mind I think so but I know I'm judging from the outside so it might not always be the case but um I would urge everyone to listen to your podcast if they can because um hopefully they'll get lots and lots out of it thank you Laura it doesn't definitely doesn't feel like this healthy inside outside all the time and it's a learning isn't it we have to bring so much self-compassion into this menopause and cancer journey so much acceptance, so much anger, so much fear. And we have all these huge emotions that are utterly exhausting if we experience them for years and months throughout with this uncertainty, living with this uncertainty. And Mm -hmm. people say, be positive or you need to accept it all. I think, no, (laughs) we need to allow all of those emotions, like we said, to coexist and just take it day by day. 
Yeah, no, absolutely. So I'm going to finish off the podcast by asking you the questions I ask everyone. So your relationship to food, fuel or pleasure? Fuel, still. I wish it was pleasure, but if I'm, if I'm really, really honest, it's still fuel. Wow. Okay. Favorite, <sighs> favorite meal of the day? Dinner because I have it with other people and my family and it's a loud, busy kitchen table usually in our house. It's crazy. Um, lots of people talk, but I love it that way. <laughs> <laughs> Name one meal that always makes you feel happy. Chaya seeds with yogurt and some lovely berries. Very healthy too. One food that has healed you. Herbal teas. Okay. What's your favorite? They heal me. I don't know. I have so many. I love looking at the packets. I love how they taste differently. But I also feel they always give me a hug. It's like having a hug, a hug in a cup in a way with my herbal teas. Yeah. One dish that reminds you of family. Gosh, it needs to be Austrian Wiener schnitzels. My mum still yeah. makes them for my children and she makes mountains and heaps of them. And they're <laughs> like Kentucky Fried Chicken, but homemade. Lovely. Oh, wow. <laughs> so you're not, you're not vegetarian or vegan? I don't eat the schnitzels. I don't eat the meat. Um, but my family and the children eat them. And I love the pleasure it gives everyone and the feeling of getting together and having big platters of food. Yeah. One recipe that everyone should know how to cook? Uh, minestrone soup um, with some nice whole grains or chia seeds, um, not chia seeds, a little bit of quinoa sprinkled in. It's like everything you can pack in, super tasty, super easy. And I can send you a recipe if you want and we can put it in show notes. Yeah, well, that, I was going to say there's lots of amazing healthy recipes on your website, aren't there? Yeah, but I can send you that and maybe we can all make minestrone soups this winter. Yes. <laughs> Your best meal ever? Street food in India. Oh, wow. Um, yeah, ex an experience eating with my hands and feeling so alive and my all my senses were eating with me. I love that. That's a good one. Finally, some food for thought. What is the one piece of advice you would give to anyone in terms of food and menopause or food and perimenopause? Adding in as many different fresh ingredients, fruits and veggies in your day and in your weeks. And no one food alone is going to ever make a difference, but it's the accumulation of adding in loads of fruit and vegetables and whole grains that can make a difference every single day. Wow, I have learned so much, Danny. I feel like I could talk to you for hours and hours and hours and hopefully we will get to it at some point. But for now, thank you so, so, so much for all of your advice and for coming on this podcast. Thank you so much for having me and chat soon. If you enjoyed this podcast, you can follow Danny on Instagram at healthywholeme and you can also visit her website, healthywholeme.com. And of course, subscribe to her podcast, Menopause and Cancer, wherever you get your podcasts. I will put those links in the show notes. You can also follow me on Instagram at Laura Price Writes for more information on my past and future podcast guests. And you can buy my novel, Single Bald Female, in bookshops and online. It's out in paperback in January 2023 and it's currently in hardback. So get it while you can. You can also subscribe to my newsletter at lauraprice.substack.com where I've been writing about my secondary breast cancer diagnosis and also some top career tips and more. Now a favour to ask. 
If you're enjoying this podcast, please go to Apple Podcasts or whichever platform you're listening on and give this podcast a review or rating and hit the subscribe button. It really, really, really helps other listeners to discover the podcast. And as this is an independent podcast, that's pretty much the only tool I have. So I need your help. I'll be back in two weeks time with a fresh episode and I'd love to see you there. Thank you for listening to Life in Food with Laura Price. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.